Good morning. Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 12, verses 22 through 34. Please follow along with me as I read. That's Luke 12, verses 22 to 34. And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do a small a thing as this, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we've sung of the Father's love, your love. We've rehearsed in lyrics what you have done for us. And yet, as this text clearly states, it's easy to lose track of that. Meeting just the basic needs of life, it's so easy to take our attention off of you and look at the things around us. And so, Father, I just pray that as we go to the text today, speak to our hearts as you promise you will through your word. Thank you for this church body. Thank you for their commitment to you and to your word. And we ask now again for your guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as the text that you just heard read states very, very clearly, there is much in this life that creates angst or worry. In fact, we have a little video which states just that. <laughs> Oh! <laughs> 
one thing for certain, that'll be the last time you probably hear opera being played or that kind of music in church, but here we are. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I think in our laughter, we understand fully the anxiety that those folks were facing in the video. In fact, it's one of the dangers that plague those who walk this globe, is it not? Whether it's finances, the future, academics, job security, relationships, our health, you fill in the blank. And Jesus in these instructions to his disciples as we're moving closer and closer to Jerusalem in the Gospel of Luke, he's dealt last week, we looked at the whole issue of hypocrisy. And now I'm gonna argue in one way, this is also hypocrisy. And that is he's moving to the subject of worry and anxiety. In your notes, if you have those there, that we see that he begins this whole section, starting in verse 22, let's look at it, with a command, and he's going to bookend this section with a, repeating this command not to worry. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not worry. It's in the present tense. In other words, you got to keep, this is ongoing, this command. It's not a one-time deal and you've got it down. It says, do not worry about life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear. The word anxious means to be torn apart. <laughs> uh, you're, there's this conflict. That our English, the old English wor term worry comes from the term that means to strangle. Isn't that interesting? Worry tries to resuscitate the past while suffocating the present. Does it not? Corey Timboom, the uh, famous author of Hiding Place, hid the Jews during World War II, ended up, was arrested by the Nazis and lost many of her family members. She, she gives this great line, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. And so here we are, and, and the Lord says, you're not to worry. And he gives us four reasons in this text. And the first of these, in number, one, number one in your notes, and what we see in the text is, there is more to life than food and more to life than clothing. As we look at this, it's interesting because what he's talking about are not the luxuries of life, but the very essentials. He's saying the, the very substance of life is still not as significant than the Lord. And, and I see that. You know, you attend a funeral and you say, hey, there's, there's food for the family in the other room. That's okay, I don't feel like eating. Hmm. Or perhaps you've, you've been in the throes of life and, you, and I, I, I forgot to eat. Why? Because something's more important. And that's what Jesus is stating to his followers. He said, listen, there is more to life than baklava, right? Or, I don't know, Levi jeans, showing my age, I guess. Uh, he said, there's more to life than this. And so the first reason is, again, life has far more than just food and clothing. The second one is, he says, you can't add to your life. We see this in verse 25. And which of you, by worrying, can add an hour to his life? Now, the English read, rendering here is an hour. It could be rendered, uh, it's cubits. So it could be that who can add 18 inches to their life? 
but that seems a little strange. No one wants to add 18 inches, maybe a couple inches. I don't know. Uh, the idea, I think, is far better to render it an, an hour. Who can add some time to their life? It's interesting. I was looking at uh, this article, uh, Jeff Bezos, you know, with Amazon, probably the wealthiest man in the world, recently made a huge investment to Altos. And you go, what is Altos? Well, it's a company that is pursuing biological reprogramming technology, a way to rejuvenate cells in the lab that some scientists think will extend life, revitalize life, etc. And so that's what they're seeking to do. And this is a huge uh, enterprise um, because they're not just stationed in the UK, but they're in, in the US and elsewhere. And, and so they're looking to do this. And it's interesting, Bezos, in his final letter to Amazon shareholders, listen to what he writes. Just, just think about what he's stating. Included a quote ruminating on death and decay and that he had found in a book, well, here's his problem to begin with, by the biologist Richard Dawkins. But he makes this statement. Staving off death is a thing that you have to work at. If living things don't actively work to prevent it, they would eventually merge with their surroundings and cease to exist as autonomous beings. That is what happens when they die. Woo! Do you hear what he's saying? Rewinding the clock is one way I think he's seeking to do this. And, and he's doing the very thing the Lord says, who, who can do this? And even if you could, what's another hour? The problem with this mindset of Bezos and others is Luke 17. <laughs> we'll get there, but Jesus states, whoever seeks to preserve his life will what? Lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. There's the secret. And so the Lord comes and he says to his disciples, you don't need to worry. Number one, there's far more important things than what you're worrying about. Secondly, what is worrying gonna do? You can't add to your life with worry, but you worry, you, you will reduce your life <laughs> with ulcers, heart attacks, etc. right? And, and this leads us to reason three that's given in verse 26. And he says, so if you cannot do a, a very little thing as this, if you can't extend your life to this one hour, then why are you extending your worry to other matters of life? Why would you do that? I, I wrote down, why do we worry? We believe it can prevent negative outcomes from happening, minimize the effects of negative events, avoid disappointment, increase control. Perhaps on a positive light, people will spin it and say, well, it's to find a solution. Uh, when I'm stressed, things come to mind or provide distraction from thinking about things that are even worse. At the end of the day, the Lord's stating it's an exercise in futility. You're just wasting extremely valuable, limited time and energy in so doing it. Psalm 127 states, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go to, late to bed, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he, the Lord, gives to his beloved sleep. <laughs> there it is. And so he gives us 
uh, three reasons thus far. One is there's far things greater than food and clothing. Secondly, you, you know, you, you, you can't add an hour to your life, and even if you could, it wouldn't really matter. And third, uh, if you, you can't do that, why do you worry about anything? And there's a fourth reason, which is down at verse 30. And it says, for all the nations of the world pursue these things, and your Father knows you need them. You see, worry gives us a false view of life, but worse yet, it gives us a false view of God, doesn't it, when I worry? When I think about it, what's it implying when I worry? God is incompetent, he's, or he's heartless, or he's just too busy to get involved. In either of those cases, it's blasphemous. That's the problem with worry. It fails to see who the Lord is. And we were reminded in chapter 11, earlier in Luke, the text that says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. What father among you, if your son asked for a fish, would give him a snake, right? Or if he asked for an egg, will he give him a scorpion? Although you are evil and you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so, why worry? Be happy. I mean, why worry? We, we, we have a Heavenly Father who cares deeply. Well, the Lord isn't done because you get, okay, those are great. Thanks. Appreciate those four reasons. Well, it peppered among these reasons are three illustrations, and you caught them in the text that was read. But the first of these, he states in verse 24, consider the ravens or the crows. It's the only time this term is used in the New Testament. Um, in the Old Testament Greek rendering, we know these are unclean animals. So if, the implication, by the way, is if God can care for unclean animals, he'll care for you. But you, you have that idea, right? And, and in fact, in the ancient world, the old crows not only were unclean well, to the Jew, to the ancient world, they were seen as careless creatures. I mean, think about it. He says they don't sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. I mean, you can do the, the building plans, the architectural designs for these birdhouses. There is no pantry, right? You're, you're not going to find a refrigerator or a deep freezer in the birdhouse. They don't have them. Now, it doesn't mean that they're idle, but they're free from anxiety. You don't see a crow needing to take, I don't know, <laughs> some type of uh, anxiety medicine because they're worried. You know, no, they're, they're trusting. They, they, God provides, they know. And, and he says, he cares for them. So you have the ravens. You also have another example that he gives from nature. And look at verse 27. The text tells us, consider how the flowers grow. Consider the lilies. Now, it could be referring to a type of lily that is in the Middle East, which is purple in color, or it could be our standard lily that we know, the, sometimes referred to as the Madonna lily, the white lily. But the point is, those flowers out in the fields are adorned far greater. Well, look what the text says. I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory was clothed like one of these. In the Old Testament, we're never told Solomon was well-dressed. We, we don't read of him wearing an Armani suit. But we definitely are told of his opulence and his wealth and all the resources. I mean, think about it. He had an entire staff, an onslaught of servants. 
His closet was bigger than most that we know. And he had untold resources. And yet these flowers who do not work, they don't even have one seamstress at their disposal or a credit card are clothed far greater than Solomon. <laughs> Mind you, a little bit of Cinderella, right? And her two sisters, you do remember the story of Drizella and, and Anastasia, these two stepsisters who had all the resources and they were dressed for the ball and Cinderella has nothing and then she comes, thanks to the God, fairy godmother, dressed in this beautiful dress. That's kind of what I see here. He's, look at the Cinderella's out in the field. God, God provides for them. He cares for them. He cares for the ravens, and he gives one more, and that's the, the grass. Notice what he says in verse 28. And if this is how God clothes the wild grass, which is here today and tomorrow is tossed into the fire to heat the oven, how much more will he clothe you? If you go to Israel in February, March, and you drive from Jerusalem down to Jericho through the wilderness, it's green. And when I would take groups to Israel, seldom did we go in that time frame. frame. And I would tell, when we did, I would tell people, this isn't the Israel that I normally know. Because if you wait till May, it's all brown. It's all dead. And it looks like, almost like a desert. And so it was vastly different. And, and that's the grass was often used to, to display the temporary aspects of life. Psalm 37, fret not yourself because of evildoers, be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and the green herb. There it is. And so no human skill, craft, I don't care what craft show you're going to go to, it cannot exceed the beauty of God's creation. And so the Lord says, why are you worrying? Look what, look what God has done. By the way, the implications are huge here in these three illustrations. God is the creator and the sustainer of all things in this universe. He's not an old man who wound the clock. He's intimately involved, and he cares deeply, even for the crows. That's highlighted here. And yet, in all of this, it's asked two times in this text. We see it in verse 28, for instance. Are you not better than them? I mean, you've been created. We talked about this last week with hypocrisy. You're created in the image of God. God's given you his son. He didn't give it to the crows. He didn't call the grass before the foundation of the world, but he did you. And so he gives us these four reasons. Jesus spells them out not to worry. Three illustrations why not to worry. And then he gives a promise to those who do not worry. And we see that in verse 32. Do not be afraid, little flock. It's an interesting way to refer to his people, his peeps. And what you have here is a, an image of care. Uh, this, well, Isaiah 40. Uh, he will tend his flock like a shepherd, referring to the Lord. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. I mean, think about Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. <laughs> Why worry? He's the one who walks in the dark valleys. He's the one who provides the fresh water and the green grass. That's my father. 
That's, that's our shepherd who cares deeply. And, and so he says, hey, my little flock, don't worry. Don't be afraid. The, the, the idea here is, obviously that term is usually, a fear is used in the context of persecution, but in all of this, he says, your father is well pleased, isn't that great, to give you the kingdom. It, it, it's, he, he, he is going to, in your pursuit of the kingdom and, and your relationship with him, it's there for you. Second Corinthians 4, Paul is writing to a church that, be honest, he's pulled out a paddle a couple times. This church is, has its, its problems. But he says, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us, what? An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. Food, clothing. But we look to the things that are unseen, and that's the eternal. And so he says, this one, is the Father, is looking to give you the kingdom. That's his realm. That's the place of, of security and peace and all that worry covets or concerns itself with. It's already there a place where God dwells and where his name is exalted. He said, this is what he's looking to do. And, and, and notice the text says, listen, this is the one, and earlier it says, this is what the, the nations long to, to have. He said, this is there for you. This is what he's looking to do. This is the promise for those who don't worry. He say, well, thanks, Hophetitz. That was great, but uh, I still worry. So what's the solution the solution is found in the next three verses. You want to know how to stop worrying? Look what it says in verse, the last two verses. Verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Uh-oh, here we go, right? Provide, yourself, uh, your, uh, provide yourselves purses that do not wear out, a treasure in heaven that neither decreases, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. The first part of this solution is to care for others. You know, how can that be? Well, the focus is to pry our hands from the things in this world that we long to grasp. Instead, our hands need to be opened and sharing, not clenching our fist in worry. By caring for others, we remind ourselves where our energy should be devoted, right? It focuses or forces us to lean upon the Lord rather than depending upon our hoard that we have in the back room or in our bank accounts. Extending grace to others reminds us what the Lord has done for us. After all, you, you cannot outgive God. It frees ourselves of anxieties that come from having much. That's the problem when you, you have a really nice piano or a nice basketball or whatever, you gotta take greater care, right? That can be a curse. <laughs> and, and we're concerned about, as the text tells us, it getting stolen or moths coming. But ones who are free to give and share recognize it's not mine anyways. And ultimately, in so doing, we reveal ourselves, our heart, where our hearts are, where they reside, where our true treasures are. And so how do we overcome worry? I would suggest, based on the text, it's to give. 
Now, the text says, sell your possessions, and this is one that scholars have debated. And even some evangelicals have used this to espouse a very communistic or socialistic perspective on life. Scholars, there's, there's five major interpretations. The first of these is, well, and this is where the rub lies, because in Luke's second volume, the book of Acts, you have individuals who don't sell everything. And so what's going on? How do you reconcile this? Even, even in the book of Luke, Zach, Zacchaeus doesn't sell all that he has. He makes right what he has cheated, and we'll get to that wee little man in due time. But you know, wh- how, what do you do with this? And so some scholars state the church failed to implement what Jesus taught, which none of us, I hope, wouldn't hold to something like that. Another view, which we can quickly dismiss, is that Luke is just plain confused when he recorded this. Um, That's not a good option. (laughs) Another view is that it's a hyperbole, and and that's possible. Others argue it wasn't an absolute command. It, It doesn't entail complete getting rid of everything. A fourth is that it wasn't mandatory, or fifth, it wasn't mandatory it, it, what the Lord is talking about is a proper attitude towards the things we have. And I think that's probably where we're headed here. Because, I mean, Jesus wore a seamless robe. It'd be like driving around in a Bentley in the first century. He didn't sell it and give it to the poor. And yet, he was very careful to give and, and to share. And so, there's a balance here. And I think what we're talking about is all that we have belongs to him. And if we're Holding on tight to the things we have, worry is right next door knocking. But when we are careful to have loose hands and generous in our giving, then we are focusing on the Lord and not worry. One of my good friends often says, we are but conduits of what we have because it all belongs to God. And ironically, for the New Testament and the Old if you want to invest, you give. You don't hoard. <laughs> and so we see, I think the solution here is found in this text, and that is to, to give, to trust the Lord, right? Pursue these, the treasure that is in heaven. Put your heart there. There's a few principles based on our text as we look at this that are in your notes. The first of these is worry is not to be characteristic of the believer because it stems from a faulty view of God. When our heart is focused on God rather than possessions, positions, and power, we're in tune with the things that the Lord wants. Now, careful, concern is not worry. Yes, we have concerns, and I want to be careful here. Worry is when the situation is controlling you or you've lost sight of God. Concern, one person states, is solution-oriented while worry is (laughs) problem-oriented. Regardless, the bottom line of worry, I would argue, is discontentment. It's it's not being rusting and depending on Lord. Rather, we're we're dissatisfied. We long for the other things. In fact, one scholar states, worry is faith in the negative trust in the unpleasant, assurance of disaster, and belief in defeat. Worry is wasting today's time to clutter up tomorrow's opportunities with yesterday's troubles. 
what are you telling the world when you worry? Why should they put their faith and trust in Christ when you're a basket case? <laughs> uh, really? You claim to depend on him. You're, you say you're a sheep of his fold, and yet, my goodness, um, I'm not sure I want to put my faith in this God that you talk about because you just seem to be so concerned. In fact, what are we telling our children or our grandchildren when we worry? Vance Havner makes this great statement. Worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. <laughs> Isn't that great? And, and, and so the first principle I, I think we can clearly see is worry is not to be a characteristic of the believer. We've talked about this. It's a faulty view of God and, and what he has done. And this is why I think in many ways it's, it's, it's another form of hypocrisy. Because you, you, you claim to be his, and yet you worry. You don't trust. This leads us to the second. Scripture does not allow for any middle ground as it pertains to trusting the Lord. Either, we're partaking in, uh, either we are partaking in right praying, thinking, and living, or we're wallowing in the mire of worry. One New Testament scholar writes, the self-sacrifice that Jesus calls to therefore involves far more than money. Following Jesus and participating in his mission takes priority over everything else in our lives, including residential security and social and family obligations. He goes on to write, we don't lose all our possessions when we come to Christ. We do lose our ownership of them. Did you hear that? We don't lose our possessions, not necessarily, but we do lose our ownership of them. If Jesus is truly Lord of our lives, then everything we have belongs to him. I mean, think about the gospel. It's a gift. God has freely and graciously provided for us and assures that the gift is complete and that it is finished as the son declared on the cross. And so there's no middle ground here. Either we, we trust the Lord or we worry. And the text is clear, we are not to worry. There's a third point, and this fits with what we saw in selling our possessions, and that is gratitude and generosity indicate a heart that is free from the bondage of worry. Think about it. If all our wants and inclinations are laced with discontentment, we've got a problem. I mean, consider the greatness of the mercies that we have and the actual worth of those things that we lack. First Timothy 6, we brought nothing into this world, we won't take anything out. A grateful heart recognizes the foolishness of worrying because we've got a Savior. We have one who has claimed to be the bread of life. Why worry about food? We have a one who's, who's claimed to be the living water. We have one who's claimed to be the good shepherd, the great physician, the way, the truth, and the life, the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who's claimed that he is the great I am. Paul writes to the church at Philippi, do not be anxious. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, in prayer and supplication, and here it is, with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. The spirit of gratitude should also be accompanying our generosity. 
George Mueller, you know the man who did all these orphanages and God provided in a couple hundred years ago. He says, the Christian should never worry about tomorrow or give sparingly because of a possible future need. Only the present moment is ours to serve the Lord. Tomorrow may never come. That's why the Lord didn't say, give us the monthly bread, right? Money is really worth no more than it can be used to accomplish the Lord's work. Life is worth as much as it's spent for the Lord's service. And so the Lord says, don't worry. There's far more important things than food and drink. You can't add an hour to your life by worrying. In fact, it's useless on all fronts. And your Lord knows. Your Father knows. He cares. He provides. I mean, just look at the birds. Look at the flowers. Look at the grass. God provides. And the promise is he will see to it to the end. And so, walk in grace, walk in gratitude, walk in generosity, because that's the solution to all of this. I was reading an excerpt from Worry, Pursuing a Better Path to Peace by David Paulson, and he lays out some, a game plan on how to stop worrying, and you may want to jot, jot these down, because I thought they were dynamite. Sorry, they're not in the notes. They came later. <laughs> He gives us several things to consider. He says, number one, name the pressures. He says, we all struggle with worry pertaining to something. What do you need? Or he says, look at these. Anxieties feel endless and infinite, but they're usually finite and very specific. So name the pressures. Jot one or two down that, that you find yourself constantly ruined keeping you awake at night or waking you up, what's on your mind. Then he says, identify how you express anxiety. How does it show up in your life? Where do you see this, right? Are you constantly talking about it? Do you blow up <laughs> at the family members because it's on your mind? And then he says, three, ask yourself, why am I anxious? Worry always has its inner logic. What do I want, need, crave, expect, demand, or lust after? What is preoccupying me so that I pursue it with all my heart? And then he states, which promise of Jesus from the Bible speaks to you most? I would argue based on the text we've looked at today, I challenge you to reread this several times this week. Think through this. Reflect on this, perhaps memorize a verse, or maybe there's another promise in scripture that you need to just commit to memory based on that specific area. And that's what he leads to number five. He says, go to the Father, talk to him. Your Father cares about the things you were. I mean, he's the one that said, cast your cares upon him, right? Don't worry, turn to him, he cares for you. Number six, and this is, this is David's work on this. He says, give. Isn't that interesting? Do and say something constructive. Care for someone. Give to meet someone's needs. Those are going through the life's toughest, the toughest times. And then I'm gonna add a seventh to his list. So six was to give. Seventh, I'm gonna argue, is to rejoice. Give thanks to God for who he is, for what he is doing, for how he's providing text is clear. Don't be afraid, little sheep. (laughs) 
for your father is well pleased to give you the kingdom. Father, we come to this text and we're so grateful for your provisions for us. Not just for the here and now, but for all eternity. For some in this room, this all may be very foreign because there is no relationship with you. Oh, they go through the motions, but they've never come to a point where they've recognized their sin and, and recognized that the price that your son paid on the cross for their sins has been made and they have not turned to you. So Lord, I pray this morning they would do that because until that happens, these promises that we've seen are not available. They're for those that belong to the flock. Even Psalm 23 states there's enemies to the fold. There are those that are not part of the flock. And so, and in John 10, Jesus states, I am the good shepherd and those who are mine know my voice. And I know them because I've laid down my life for them. And so this morning, if there's someone in this room who doesn't know you, I pray that they would yield their life to you and recognize that indeed Jesus, your son, is the good shepherd who cares deeply. Father, for some in the room, the burdens are great, the valleys are deep, they are dark, and the light at the end of the valley is not seen. For some, the battles have been going on for a long time. And so worry is a natural default for many of us. And I pray that you would give them strength, encouragement today. It's a, one way this is a, a light text, fun text, and another way it's very difficult, it's hard. It's hard just to release our worries and say, yeah, Lord, you're in charge, I trust you. And for some of us, Lord, it's been holding on to the things of this world too tightly and forgetting that all that we have is because of you and all that we have is yours. And so help us to hold loosely to the things that are here and in the process, may we give thanks to you for who you are. Indeed, you are the father of good things. You're the, the one who is the giver of the perfect and good gifts. And we rejoice in that. And in the greatest gift, your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray.